Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from the Woodshop live with an in-person podcast. Um, something about being able to look across the table in the guy's eyes, it's a lot better than uh, looking at the screen, but I will take what I can get. Um, 12 Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It can be found on Amazon. It is the great compendium, the magnum opus of the 12 Steps. It is... Uh, designed for everyone no one's left out of this book you don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict um fits three categories the way i see it people who want to level up in their current 12-step fellowship this is a different angle at the look at, at, at looking at the same work um people who don't fit the traditional 12-step fellowships and People who just don't really, they just never could get AA. Uh, this is just another way to get to the same tools that we know work. Um, I was standing around talking last night with a guy and, you know, it's in that there's a solution and there's a there's a line and there's a solution in the big book that says something to the effect of that, um, that we could see that it really worked in others. And... Uh, and I point that out because our group is so uh, apparent in that way that uh, when I'm working with a new guy, I'm like, you see him, you see him, you see him. Uh, you see what is happening. And, and this particular gentleman knows two people from uh, for a lot of years now and actually witnessed the transformation of those people who they used, knew who they used to be and who they are now. Um, so... Get you a taste of this 12-step stuff. Uh, it'll change your life. Darren Frank's music's wrapped around this podcast. Um, thank you, Darren, for allowing me to use your uh, wonderful tunes to uh, support this thing. And I got my energy's off tonight. I uh, had a job today and, and had a... Two people helping me on it yesterday and i normally don't take jobs that take more that's one of my limitations i don't accept jobs that are too big for one person and uh but once in a while i step in it and i uh, needed some help and i wrangled up some help yesterday and i had a, had two guys for a few hours yesterday and then uh, neither one of them uh, showed up today they didn't well one one said he'd be there and wasn't and one told me at something like four in the morning that he had to take his kid or his wife to the hospital. So I understand that sort of. Um, so it threw me off pace, and then I got rained on and didn't get as much done as I thought I was going to get done. And come screaming into the door with uh, sliding into the garage sideways, come in here and uh, meet my guest tonight, so uh, we can get his story recorded. It'll shift gears, though. This always does. This. Uh, podcast is a spirit raising thing it is a juice uh, injection uh, more so than i ever thought so uh full disclosure to tonight uh the guy sitting across the table for me uh asked me to sponsor him so i did and uh toby just picked up a eight month chip last night in our uh, men's home group meeting and uh of course he's still working amends but he's uh he's been through the work and he's had that life-changing experience and can you know i was talking to my sponsor the other night when i was over at his house we have a sunday night date and uh over at his house and we were talking about that like how just you can't put into words what this does to a person 
and and for those that don't know, uh, they can't see. It is something that must be experienced. It'd be like trying to you know trying to trying to tell somebody what a strawberry tastes like that's never tasted a strawberry. Uh, there's no way to describe that taste. And there's no way to describe what this does to a person's life when they do this work and practice these principles. Uh, always got to put that thing in the caveat because you can't, if you just do the steps and go on back to what you were doing, uh, you'll end up back where you were at, more than likely. But Toby's here with me today, man, and I couldn't be prouder of him. And it's always a, it just is an honor when somebody asks you to take them through this work, and it's an honor to be able to like witness what it does time after time after time after time of uh, seeing that the proof is in the pudding and watching watching people's lives transform from the bottom of the heap to to better than they ever thought it would be. So let's get started with a sobriety date, Toby. What's your sobriety date? January 28th, 2021. Right, so not even a year. Pull that up about a fist away from you. I didn't give you all that talk beforehand. Okay. So it'll go like this. You can all right. Move it around, so keep it about, you know, like I am. Okay. Know, a little bit in front of you. If you want to pull it back to you, you pull it back to you. If you want to lean into it, you can lean into it. Okay. Try to keep it kind of pointed at you and in front of your voice. January 28th of last year. So you'll be... Got a few four more months to go. Yes, sir. Four more months. Yeah, you scared tonight? You were nervous about this? Yeah, I was. You know, all day long I was pretty good with it. And as I came over the bridge, getting closer to your house, I got a little nervous about it. Definitely. Toby spoke for the first time uh, last week at Charlie's birthday, and uh, and he was. I know he was nervous about that. He was. Uh, uh, of course, he had a lot of notice, too. That's another thing that's kind of funny. It's like, I find it easier to talk if a guy says, can you talk tomorrow night? Then if he says, can you talk a week from Wednesday? You know, uh, and then I get to think about it. Of course, I don't. I just don't anymore. It's, that, that's that's wore off somehow or another. Uh, all this talking on the podcast and talking and other things, it's just got where I just, it, it's, not, it's not a thing. I don't have to prepare or think about what I'm going to say. My story's the same story every single time. So I don't have to figure out what I'm going to say. I already know what I'm going to say. Yeah, you can't like, get your whole story in behind the podium, though. you got to give some abbreviated version of it. And that's what about tonight we can give more full story. Yeah, it's like, you know, you get the countdown and it's, i got seven days to speak. Oh, i got six days to speak. And as it gets closer, the, the nerves get worse. I agree with you. I, I probably just like one day notice, probably. Everybody... Uh, there's things that you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that newcomers say when they get here. Uh, one of them is I don't like to talk in front of people. You know, we had a guy say that last night. Uh, I kind of giggle about it because it's almost like it's a, they're almost cliches. You know that uh, I don't like to do this. I don't like to do that. You know, and, and of course all the other ones about how <clears throat> I'm gonna have fun now that I'm not drinking and doping. But uh, I don't know. I like talking in front of people. I enjoy it. So where'd you grow up at, man? Where was you born? Uh, I was born in a small town in Connecticut, northeast corner of Connecticut. I'm really glad you didn't say I was born a poor black child. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, small small town in Connecticut, uh, real close to the Massachusetts and Rhode Island border. So I have like a, a lot of 
chowder head influences, and they say chowder, chowder heads, you know, C-H-O-W-D-A. Yeah. And, uh... Well, you still like Boston and the and why you still like the Patriots? Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my teams, you know. And to this day, you know, I live with my mom, and she still has that influence on me because she still speaks that New England accent. I heard a little in you. It's removed a lot, but it's I still it's hear still here. Yeah, yeah, I've been here in Kentucky twenty five years now, so it's gone a little bit. Yeah. Uh. I always joke around, you know, people, I, I go down to the convenience store down the street and people say, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from here. Um, so uh, growing up, you uh, born in uh, Massachusetts. And how was it, How was that early life? What was, what was life like as you remember it? You know, it didn't last long because up to about four or five years old, I was on a big jet airplane going overseas. So those recollections of growing up at an early age are... What was you doing going overseas? Uh, my father, my father. well, he, he he got my mom pregnant, and back in the 70s, I guess it was the thing to do was to join the service. And as soon as we he joined the service, and next thing I know, I'm flying over the ocean. So <clears throat> they were married. Yes. They had a baby. You got him to her sisters? Yes, after after he got remarried again. Okay. I, yeah. What's that, stepbrothers and sisters? Yes. Is that what they call half that? Half-brothers. Or yeah. half-brothers, yeah. that's right. Not step. Um, and so you were born, and then he joined the military. Yeah, right at, right at the same time frame, within months of each other. You yeah, know, was one of them, oh, shit, I got a kid coming. What am I going to do What am I going to do? Life? You know, and his hair was halfway down his shoulders, and his nickname was Trip. That was his nickname growing up. All his brothers called him Trip. And he liked to trip, you know, so. Like he was trip, a, like to take acid trip? To take acid. He was a hippie. Man, you know? that's odd. That's odd change of life course to take. But <clears throat> sometimes it. Um, sometimes we need that 180-degree turn, you know. Yep. And so you don't remember much of that, really, of flying around? Or, mm, I just remember just, you know. Like where? bits and pieces you, of you, it. Where, what I what I've come to find, you know, I have some memories that I think are mine, yeah. but they're not really mine. That I've heard the stories, stories, yeah, that were told, and uh, now, but you know, they I've heard them enough times that I believe that I remember some stuff that's way too young for me to remember. I remember being on an airplane going over there, and you know, just me yeah. and my mom. My dad was already over there, and they were setting up the quarters for the dependents to get over there. And where at? West Germany. Germany. And this is, you know, before the wall came down. 78, 79, something, something right around there. And uh, the German culture was still there, big time. And we did not move on to the army base. We moved on what they call the economy. So you're with the German people. Hmm. There wasn't enough housing for the dependents yet. So here I am as a little kid in the German community, right on the streets of Germany. You know, and that culture, just watching that growing up. And here I am, an American brat. Next thing I know, I'm in this German culture. And and at that age, I don't know, you almost could say you're Americanized yet. No. You know? No. Uh, you don't know what you are. You know, and there's a lot of pictures. You move over when you're seven or eight or nine or something like that, you'd have a little, little bit, grounding yeah. under your feet from what it was like here, you know. Because you know, kind of like you really don't get introduced to society until you go to school. 
Yet I had to go to a German-American school. So half the school was German kids and half American kids. And there was almost like a wall separating the two, just like the real wall over there. Mm. It was kind of weird. But I, I see pictures of it now, and my mom dressed me like a German kid. Yeah. She thought it was cute, you know, the plaid clothes and yeah. the ponchos and the, the little hats, the German hats that they wore, the, the uh, kinders. You wanted know. to fit in. Yeah. And those memories, you know, we have grocery stores here, and we have Walmarts here. And the recollections I have there is going to the markets with my mom and seeing, you know, upside down rabbits hanging from the ceiling, just skinned, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and you bought your food from the I market. Saw, I saw some fresh market stuff even into the 90s mm-hmm. when my brother was stationed in Germany and I went over and saw him for a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I spent a couple of weeks in Frankfurt. Yeah. And uh, we drove up to Amsterdam a couple of weekends. And uh, or both weekends that I was there, but I do remember the. Of course, I've been in a lot of places, you know, like Thailand and those kind of places. Always have like food markets and stuff, but yeah, you don't see that here. But even then, the WalMarts and stuff weren't big here. Those big superstore kind of things weren't a thing yet. No, they weren't like Kmart and around here anyway. Yeah, and they they would come about every day. They would come down the streets with this food truck, almost like a food market truck. And the sides of it would pop open, and one day you bought your bread. And the next truck, the next day you bought your dairy from them. Oh, really? They had different stuff on different, different trucks. Stuff, different days. Like today's like, bread day. Bread yeah. guys come by. Guy go outside. Yep. And they had the alcohol day, because I remember my parents running out there to get the alcohol. You know, and they had to get it that day. You know, or it might pass them by. Yeah. You know, and they were young. You know, my mom was wait till next week. Yeah, my mom was eighteen when she had me. Mm. My dad was nineteen. So they're, you know, yep. they're young and in Germany. And I ain't drinking age yet. Yeah, not even drinking age yet. And they were still partying in Europe, you know. They were they were still hippies in, at heart. And, uh, of course, my dad had short hair and he cleaned up his act, but this is, this is still the 70s. And the GIs partied. And my dad partied right there with them, you know, so... Yeah. I watched that, you know, I really did watch that. So what year were you born? 74. 74, okay. So it had been post-Vietnam. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was. I always look back at that, grateful that my dad didn't get caught up in that, you know, that it was just right after that. And he spent a few years in Connecticut at the base there and then shipped over to Germany, so. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was popular there, too, because we would always have parties. I remember the parties going on as a young kid, five or six years old. And I think that was the first time I ever had a taste of uh, alcohol because my parents would not let me drink soda. So I'd wake up in the morning from one of their parties and they'd have Coke cans laying around the house. And I was like, wow, Coca-Cola. Even though it was stale, I'm going to drink me some Coca-Cola. And I got a swig of Coca-Cola and I think what I call Jim Beam or bourbon today, you know. Oh, man, gross. It grossed me out. You know, that was... Yep, I remember those first tastes. uh, I go, why is everybody drinking this? Yeah. And uh, not knowing then, my dad sold hash in the military as a private. I see the pictures. We still have pictures of that, Mm -hmm. you know. He had the X-Acto knives out, and he was a big... I guess he was a, a dealer. 
in the service. And this is before Reagan came down and the war on drugs and the, yeah. the GIs were partying, you know. Well, I think they always did. I don't think there's any line in there that, because, I mean, it's, I don't know. Well, one is age. Uh, two is, a, to some extent, a stressful situation most of the time, you know, the <clears throat> whatever you're in, in you know, at one level, either you're relocated or you're, you know, you're just outside your comfort zone, you know, and alcohol provide alcohol, dope, whatever you happen to have, provides you with some comfort. Mm. Uh, yeah, we got, you know, and then hash was popular there in the 90s. I brought some home with me <laughs> on the plane. Scared to death, man. And one of my brother's friends had a vacuum sealer. And uh, they they sealed up a few bars of it, and uh, told me to stick it under the insoles of my shoes. And man, as soon as I walked into Frankfurt Airport to come home, I walked right by one of them dudes that like had the Uzis and the yeah, German the, Shepherds, the Poles eyes, and uh, yeah, the police. They had you know, and it wasn't the Uzis that scared me; it was the German Shepherds that scared me. Because so I think some bitch, you know, I'm walk, I don't want to like walk too wide from them. Uh, yep. make a show of myself, yep. but I made it all the way home with it. I had a lot of friends for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing those pictures, and I didn't really remember him doing that, obviously. He hid it from me, but he'd always have these Coke cans folded in half laying around the house, and those are some of my early recollections of something funny here is going on, you know. I didn't know what it was. We took a piece of cardboard and, like, a sewing needle, and put a little piece of it on the end of the sewing needle, and it took like a mason jar or some kind of glass, and you'd light that up and then trap the smoke okay, in the yeah. glass, and then you'd scoot it over to the edge of the cardboard, and then suck the smoke out yeah. of the out of the glass. They called it fez under glass. Oh gosh! And uh, I think they would melt their also they would melt their knives, put it on the knife, and melt it with heat, and they called that hot knives or hot dipping. Huh. And when it hit the knife, it would melt, and they would inhale it. Yeah, I liked it. You know, and, and it was a real cool buzz. Some of the other recollections I have are are living that kind of free hippie lifestyle with my mom, because my dad was always gone in, in the service, and she'd be home with me all the time. So it was always me and my mom, always me and my mom. And I used to see pictures of me butthole naked in the fields in Germany, and she, her eyes were all glazed up, and she had her you know, leather vest on and her long, straight hair, you know. It was classic. Yeah. It was really classic. And that's the environment I lived, you know, I grew up in. And uh, they would take me to concerts. You know, I think my first concert with my parents was B.B. King and Eric Clapton. You know, and this was before Eric Clapton had gray hair, you yeah. know. Yeah, I saw B.B. King just on my 50th birthday here really? in Louisville a couple of years ago. Wow. Just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And those, yeah. Early on recollections of that stuff. There or here? There. Yeah. When did y'all move back out? When did they? When did you leave there? Ooh, I was probably there till roughly '86. Yeah, I was going into sixth grade then, huh. coming back to the states. Cause he did he get moved or was yeah it, uh... yeah he got relocated. We were there probably seven or eight years, and he got relocated. And see, in the military, you can pick three spots where you want to move to. And one of them was Connecticut, Hawaii. Of course, everybody wrote Hawaii down yeah. just in case they would get that base. You know, somebody does. And uh, yeah, and we went back mm. to the states, Connecticut. 
And that's when some trouble began with my parents and their fighting and things like that started. You know, I was in sixth grade, turning into a little, you know, puberty was hitting me a little bit, and my parents were getting divorced. At Stress at home. Oh, yeah. A lot of fighting. My dad was, he would be gone for a few days, come back, like nothing ever happened, and he was he was chasing females around, and I started seeing that early on. And a couple times I had to jump out of my window a few nights to get away from it all, the stress of it all, and... Just run from it, you mean? Just like, run not from because you were in danger, you just didn't want to hear it. And you just, just didn't want to get want to away from it. it. Yeah, you know, not real physical, just verbal. Yeah. A lot of verbal abuse going on. My dad. A lot of people say that their parents are fighting, you know, and I always wonder, you know, uh, if they're going to get to that part of the story that they were actually physical, or my parents argued a lot. Yeah, they argued a lot. A lot of cussing and swearing and demoralizing tones. Yeah. Just. And at that point, my dad was a sergeant, first sergeant. You know, he had some stripes on his arm at that time, you know. Take no shit. He didn't take no shit. You know, 10 hut when you walked in the room. You know, my room was clean at sixth grade. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, you know, and, you know, it, it helped in a lot of ways because I'm like that a lot now. But I look back at it and there was a part where we just, it was demoralizing. Like I said, it was just, Every day, my dad was mad and yelling about something, you know. And uh, what I when I look back at it now is, he didn't have any outlets, because at that point they were drug testing these soldiers, and he had a career going on. And uh, check your microphone out for just a second. Yeah. It looks a little hot over there. No big deal. Yeah, and he didn't have any outlets, and you know, looking back at it, and he, yeah, he had to quit smoking dope or yeah, whatever, and that yeah. was his his uh, medication, you know, and it, you know, just like us, man, you take it away from us, we're worse. Yeah, and he took it out on me and mom, you know, verbally. He wasn't physical. I've got a few spankings here and there, and I deserve most of them, but yeah. real verbal with me, hmm. you know, to the point where <clears throat> if I blinked and I cried, he let me know about not being a man. Yeah. You know, and I'm told I'll give you old. something to cry about. Yeah, I'll give you something to cry about, exactly. And uh but then he would my dad was crazy like that because then he would go down the street and get some ice cream and bring it home like yeah. nothing ever happened, you know. Like to make it all good and all that. It's the guilt and remorse cycle yeah. of our uh deal. So yeah, at that and the point Jekyll and Hyde, you know, the nicest can be one minute and another minute or meaner in hell and then nicest can be and I had I had nobody to talk to about it besides my mom. I didn't have any brothers and sisters, you know. New batch of friends again, constantly making new friends from yeah. moving around all the time. And uh, sixth grade, here I am, you know, coming into my own a little bit, and I started meeting new people. And next thing you know, I'm I'm starting to do the same things he was doing, you know, smoking pot. Smoking is that what pot. you mean? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember how that come about? I remember my first time. Yeah, I remember it well. <clears throat> there was a guy at this little neighborhood park. His name was Two Finger Willie. And he was a Vietnam vet. I don't know if he was homeless. I didn't I don't know what he was exactly, but I know we called him Two Finger Willie. He appeared homeless? Yes, he did. He looked homeless. And he had two fingers on each hand. Left. Yeah, left. Like a lobster claw thing. And he would sit there on the park bench and roll joints. And I don't know if he loved the camaraderie of us going over there, hanging out with him, talking to him. 
Next thing you know, Two Finger Willie was, and he would slobber all over it. I'll never forget uh, that. And I didn't even want to smoke that. You know, I didn't know what to do. You know, next thing I know, he's like, "Try this," and I tried it. And you know, they say you don't really feel anything the first time. Some people. I think I felt it immediately. And it was within thirty minutes. I had to go home. And face my mom like nothing ever happened, and she knew immediately. So within one hour of me smoking a joint, I was already getting in trouble for the first time. Yeah. Today I wonder if she didn't smell it. You know, what I mean, because it's one thing to be like, uh, you know, the the toasted eyes are evident enough, but like the proof positive is when you get the whiff. And I smell people all the time nowadays. Here, you go every place you go. Smell it coming out of cars, going down the road. You smell it, the dude in front of the line in front of you at the gas station in the grocery store. They call that uh, smelling loud. Is that what it is? Oh man, you you smell loud over there. Uh, Yeah, that's the that's the term they use now. So what did she do when she caught you? She broke down. She was upset. You know, she didn't come. She didn't come after me uh, with a punishment. I could looking back at it, I could tell it. She probably felt some remorse about it. You know, was dad not at home at this point? No, at this point they were divorced. You know, I was single mother. Yep. And dad was still chasing chasing women around. I didn't see him much at all at first. And uh, of course, that didn't deter me how she felt. You know, and it wasn't an everyday thing at that point. And then you know, a couple of days later, we were at the park again, and there's two finger Willie and. And then I started, I, I could tell I started searching out for Two Finger Willie. Where's yeah. Two Finger Willie at? Where's he at? Let's go to the park. Yeah, let's go to the park. I'm going to go hang out at the park. And uh, and I remember doing some of that where I'd run into somebody like that and get lucky or whatever, and I would go back to those same places thinking maybe it would happen again. Like, you know, it was just a total fluke. One of my, one of my uh, uh, guesses about why a lot of people say it doesn't, they don't feel anything the first time smoking pot is because I don't. It's almost like something you had to learn how to do, you know. Like we know how to drink and swallow, right? Yeah. But when you first, if you haven't never smoked anything, and you get asked to smoke something, you just don't even know how to. Yeah. And I think that's why I didn't get high the first time. I didn't know how to inhale. I, you know, and you, well, you gonna say, how do I do this? You yeah. know, you just kind of watch the guy next to you and what he does, and yeah. At uh, that at that point, I was make smoking. Noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make the noise, right? Yeah. At that point, I was starting to smoke cigarettes, too. So there was some knowledge of knowing how to inhale smoke. There was, you know, coming out of your nose with it, feeling that feeling of, you know. And I don't know if I'd smoked a cigarette by then or not. It was pretty close, but I don't think so. I think I got offered a joint first. Yeah, I think I smoked first, yeah. My mama smoked all the time and tried to hide it and stuff. And, you know, my first cigarettes I, I took from her. Yeah, me too. I caught the first time one of the first times I smoked a cigarette. I got it out, and you know, I lived here. And got it, come out, and went down the alley here, smoked a cigarette. When I come back in, so I got the cigarette smoking talk. I didn't, get, <laughs> you know, I didn't get any trouble, but I got warned about the evils of smoking cigarettes. My mom did laundry, and uh, she found the tobacco particles in the corner of my pocket. And when she pulled my pocket out to do laundry, to check for whatever bubblegum wrappers, you yeah. know, there's the tobacco, and that's how that's how I got caught smoking. Yeah. But that didn't deter me either, you know. And my mom wasn't the yeller; my dad was, you know. So it was always a softer way dealing with mom, you know. And that went on for 
probably two years. And of course, my first drunk was during that time, the first bottle of peach tree schnapps that I'll never forget. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. It really does make my stomach turn today. I do recoil like like we would from a hot flame whenever you, especially if you name something like specific like that. I almost taste it. And to this day, I don't eat peaches. I mean, I've had them, but they're, they're I don't not like my, peaches. Yeah, they're not my fruit of choice. I love peaches. Yeah, they're not my fruit of choice. And I remember saying, oh, I don't like that alcohol, you know. The pot is the one for me, even then, you know. It was it, That was the easier way for me. And uh, I remember walking to school, sixth grade, walking to school and uh, getting sent to the principal's office because I looked, looked high. And I was like, oh, I just drank a bunch of caffeine. I'm, I'm not a high, you know, just some caffeine. And the principal bought it. I'm sure he didn't. But Yeah, but you got called to task anyway, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he bought it or not. In the back of you, you got the lesson that said, you ain't supposed to do this. Yeah, and because of the lack of punishment, I caught myself, you know, at that point, I was trying to get little sacks here or there, stealing money from my mom's little wallet and Walking to school every day, smoking weed, sixth grade, leading into seventh grade. I was cool, you know? I was cool. And uh, my dad, got, at that time, got remarried real fast. And uh, for the better of him, because he became a, a good dad again, proving himself to his, his new wife. Like, mm-hmm. look how I can really be. I have this son. Next thing I know, I'm seeing dad every weekend. We're skiing. We're doing going to amusement parks. We're we're going to movies now. I mean, the time of my life, you know. And on the weekends, I couldn't smoke pot because my dad was. I was with my dad, and you know, my dad was the, the authoritarian, and I knew if he caught yeah, me that way, crossing that line. Yeah. Uh, after that, I mean, that kind of went on for a few years, and he got stationed in Maryland, the state of Maryland. As I was approaching high school, but while y'all were in Connecticut, yeah, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Connecticut. Connecticut. I said Massachusetts earlier. Yeah, sorry. And uh, it's all the same to me. My dad decided. uh, My mom basically gave him to me at that point, knowing that I was hanging out with the wrong kids. I'm sure they had some back conversations with each other that I didn't know about. So my dad had some inkling of what was going on. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm in Maryland, the state of Maryland, and uh, that's where I went to high school at. And I had a time of my life in high school. Oh, man. Did you? Oh, yeah. Time of my life. I mean, I had a great time, but high school sucked for this dude. Oh, I loved it. The stuff that we did outside high school was fun, but I didn't like school at all. Well, I played football, so, and I was, it's funny because my freshman year, I didn't start, didn't play much. New group of people again. These kids had small town in Maryland these kids had played together their whole life and here I am the new kid on the block again had to did they have myself. a freshman team or yeah we had a freshman team I didn't even get you to still play still didn't even play nope oh, uh, this man, was, this suck. was, I sucked yeah this was football country you know this is you know, Dan Marino's were from and, yeah. the, and it was it was big time football. I don't think that at all yeah it was if you would say football country I'd think Texas yeah nowadays it was yeah. but Alabama, that Pittsburgh area it was like right below Pittsburgh oh, yeah. in the skinny part of Maryland. It was football country. And uh, I remember my dad kind of supporting it, not really. But I remember my junior year that summer, he said, what are you going to do, man? Sit the bench again? He kind of gave me that talk. And for the 
you know, besides the work that I do now with the recovery, it was like the first time that I had a, like, come to Jesus moment. Like, you know, am I going to sit the bench and, you know, am I embarrassing my dad? What, you know, and something snapped in me and I got good real fast. I remember the first summer practice, I hit the quarterback. You're not supposed to touch the quarterback, right? Well, I hit the quarterback in practice and, uh, the coach rewarding me for it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like this is well, what we need. A well, man fact of the matter was, is that, well, if you got good, that's not really what happened. You started placing effort towards mm -hmm. it. Definitely. Yeah. But I was always still smoking weed. You know. Yep. I could get by on my physical ability because you know I was still fresh, freshly a pothead, so yep. to speak. And uh, if I didn't mess up in practice, my buddies knew that. Oh, he's a pothead. That's why he did that wrong. You know, oh, I always, yeah. I always caught that in the locker room. Afterwards, you know, if they had to run extra laps because I pulled the wrong way on the line or something, it was because he's a pothead, and I was. I'd go to after practice, meet another guy. He wasn't even a football player. I go over to his house, and his dad would smoke pot with us. Hmm. Seventeen years old, you know. Next thing I know, I'm smoking weed every day, before school, after football practice, and. Was, yeah, we had open campus here when I was. We we did before school, at lunch, and after school. At lunch. <laughs> yeah, we had we had open campus. We we could go to McDonald's oh, or go okay. walk yeah. around the streets and oh wow, you know you could walk over and buy a joint from the from Two Fingered Eddie down the street that you know from lived down the street from high school and burn it and get back to school on time. Yeah. And you might even go stop by one of them little quickie stores like they used to have before, you know, before there was com these convenient speedways and Circle K's on every corner. Yeah, the corner We had store. those little uh, family-owned markets that the people lived in the house. Yep. You know, they yep. lived in the building that was the store. Yep. They sell beer out the back door. No, these were just like you go there and get some Twinkies and a Coke, man. Oh, okay. They were real little, yeah. just little grocery store markets. They didn't sell beer or nothing. They call them corner stores? No. No. I don't know what we called them. I know I can think of Brewer's Market was down there. Nidifers was over here. Uh, and I could take you to a handful of those little markets today that were where we used to walk from school. And because, like I said, we always had open campus. You could leave the campus at lunchtime, even in junior high. No, they wouldn't let us leave. Yeah, they no. should. That's smart. Yeah. Now, looking back. Leave, huh? uh, yeah. But, yeah, getting... So what happened with high school? Well, I graduated. You know, I got decent grades. No A's and B's, B's and C's. I got by, you know. We ended up winning state championship my senior year. Cool. And at that point, I could pretty much hand in my books to the teachers at that point. We won state championship. That's all that mattered in this town was the football. Graduate. And I was pretty much done with school at that point, come January 1st of my senior year. Yeah. It was just floating by till, till time to graduate, and it wasn't two weeks later after I graduated high school my dad got stationed, in Kentucky. And I had choices to make: go back home to Connecticut. At that at that time she moved to the Hartford area, so it's a city area now. Yeah. And uh, or move to Kentucky, and I'm not moving to Kentucky. Hell no. Where do you get Where do you get sent to? Uh, Fort Knox. Fort Knox. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the roots yep. of me getting yeah. here. And uh, so I went back to Connecticut. You know, it's where I'm from, and 
Once again, I was a new kid in, on the block again, you know. And we've talked yeah, about like this before. Going to a different store, going back to a different town in the same state is not a lot different than moving to Kentucky. Yeah. Was, I mean, if you move, you move back to Indiana and you go to Indianapolis, uh, it wouldn't be going home. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was meeting a whole new group of friends again, and fitting in all the time, and you know. I gotta find my pot too, you know, because I I don't know who to get pot now from, yeah, you know. I was yeah. one of the on the list of of things I need to figure out, and of course it didn't take long. Yeah, it's funny. It don't take long. No, I started working at a little grocery store and went to a community college. And uh, President Clinton was uh, running for his first election, and that was my first time I got to vote, and the, just the time frame. Yeah, Clinton was starting his presidency ninety two, I believe it was. And uh, started working this little grocery store, and <clears throat> there were some pretty young girls in there. Like they liked the Grateful Dead, and next day I know I was hanging out with them, smoking pot every day with them, and testing the waters with other things. And music was becoming important to me at that point, really important to me. It was like a a, a getaway, you know. I didn't know a lot of people. I knew a little group. We'd hang out. And uh, we'd watch Seinfeld on Thursday nights, listen to Grateful Dead, smoke doobies. And uh, I remember a girl bringing some some pills one night. And next thing you know, we're we're snorting those, we're crushing them up and snorting extra strength Vicodin or something. I don't even remember what they were, you know. And, uh, oh, I like this. And the beer was always in my hand. That was like a sidebar for me. It was there was always a beer around. It was Yep. Beer I drank beer like like it was water. Yeah. It was just a social thing, just to have the beer with you in between whatever you were else you were yeah. doing. Yeah, if it was a Coke or a Big Red or blah blah blah. blah. No, I'll take a beer. Yeah, take a beer. And at that point my mom was working two jobs because you know, Connecticut the Northeast it's hard to live there. It's expensive. She was working two jobs, there was no accountability with anything. I come and go as I please. Of course, I'm a man. I'm 18, you know, yeah. so I'm a man. You're an adult now. Yeah, so. And it got to the point where me and her became closer friends, so she she, con she didn't condone it anymore. I started smoking pot with my mom, you know, and listening to music with my mom late at night. Condone would mean she let you. Yeah, yeah. So she, she, she let me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. It's okay, man. This ain't... <laughs> But uh, all the shit I say wrong. That went on for, shoo, that went on for about three or four four years. And I kept experimenting with other things. Of course, at that time, I started going to Grateful Dead shows. And that life was out of control. I loved it so much. Got to travel around the country. Yep. And, uh, the whole Volkswagen bus thing started coming for me, and I remember getting my first bus. It blew like smoke out the back, and I didn't care. I had a rusty bus and girls in it. I was cool, you know. And then I started experimenting with with LSD a lot too, and mushrooms, and reaching the ends of things, and thinking I could fly across coliseums and football stadiums that some of them don't even exist anymore. You know, starts. Start to feel a little old when you see the stadiums getting 
torn down that used to yep. do acid in and yep going to concerts on acid was one of my favorite things the problem was the concerts don't last long enough the trip's going to be a while and we yep. got two three hours here we're going to burn while during it but next what do we do next well they always told me to to drink a lot of alcohol while you're you're tripping so at the end of the trip, you would pass out from the alcohol intoxication. Yeah. And that kind of worked. Sometimes. You know? It'd be, you know, the end of the show. Yeah. I might drink myself out of the trip so yeah. I could pass out and sleep. Sleep, yeah. And uh, that went on for a few good years until I I met the, uh, Mr. Heroin and uh, I started sniffing heroin. And uh, Did it come along through the dead stuff? Yes, definitely. Jerry Garcia was doing heroin. Yeah. So the the cult fascination of it all was like, whatever Jerry's doing, we're going to do. You know, it all popped up here, you know, over the, since the pill crackdown and all that kind of stuff. But from my understanding now, uh, heroin's always been around. Heroin's been around almost as long as alcohol's been around. Uh, it just matters what they're calling it and stuff. Somebody said the other day when they talk about the opium, opium dens in China and places like that, they're really talking about heroin. Heroin, yeah. And I think of opium as something totally different. You know, my mind does. Opium is something completely different than that. But, yeah. Now, we didn't see it. I didn't see, you know, nobody I knew was doing heroin when I was drugging and doping and drugging and doing all that stuff. Uh, you know, and even at a, if it was ever, you know, and this is just my recollection, is that it had the rap of, you know, like the serious junkies, you know. We're just getting high and having a good time yeah. here. We're not... Or I don't even know. It probably it may. I don't know, man. I'd take about anything anybody would give me. Uh, but there's been a real good chance of my contempt prior to investigation <laughs> on heroin. I might have said no to that uh, back then. Yeah, we grew up. You know, the AIDS epidemic was rampant. And, yeah. You know, IV drug users were using it. I didn't know you could snort it until you know, till I came to sobriety. Yeah. I really didn't. Yep. When you're not so sober, but when I come to AA first first time, because I started, you know, when I first come in recovery, you know, you, you I met a whole lot of different kind of people <laughs> that I wasn't <laughs> that I didn't know before then. But yeah, uh, I started snorting it too, going to shows, getting high in the bathrooms, set breaks of concerts, and yeah, and it just it just got worse and progressive and it just sweeps you away it's like the yeah. like when they oh one of that moving requiem for a dream or you know any of the movies where all of a sudden like goes into a spin you know the camera spins out of a scene uh i have a lot of recollections of that that seemed like what a big chunk of my life was from about 20 to 30 mm. just a spinning camera you're right and the first time I ever did it, I sat there and I puked all night and spun. Oh, did you? Didn't like it. My body was trying to reject it. Mm-hmm. What is this? What are you putting in me? Let's get it out of me. Well, you know, anytime we're good, you know, it's rarely really that we have a good time the first time. You know, the first time you smoke a cigarette, you're coughing and hacking and that's your body saying, hey, man, don't do that. Yep. Same thing with pot. Yeah. Uh, first time I drank, I got so drunk, I threw all up all over the place. You know, it was horrible. You know, that that was that was my that was a sign. <laughs> yeah. But uh of course, you know, the next day somebody offered some to me and I was like, I'll just take a little bit. And so I just took a little bit the next time and uh it was quite enjoyable that time. You, you know, the moderate, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. And. Do you want a bottle of water? Yeah, sure. And uh, next thing I know, I'm, well, let's let's try this other way. What's the other way? Shooting it. Yeah. So. That progressed into me going in bad neighborhoods, downtown Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, by the time I was on the interstate, I'm drawing it up in the top of a water bottle cap. Drawing it up with a, a cigarette filter, stirring it up, tying off on the interstate, going 70 miles per hour. Driving down the road. And shooting up at the same time, going 70 miles per hour, driving down the road. Traffic everywhere. It's like driving down the water center or something. Yeah. And I was, nothing could harm me, you know. And that swept me off my feet because I started getting to the low ends of, of stealing. Not breaking into cars, just stealing from friends, stealing from my mom. She worked her ass off next thing I know I'm in her purse every day, yeah. you know, stealing 10 bucks, 10 bucks, 10 bucks. All her spoons in her kitchen were all bent up. She started realizing what was going on, mm. and uh, you know, I was I was I was a cool you know I was a cool friend, so I would go get it half the time, and somebody would buy it. But if you fly, I buy you know I'll buy if you fly. Mm -hmm. So I'd fly and get it, take that risk, you know, the white boy in the ghetto, yeah. copping heroin and bringing it back. I remember bringing it back the one time and. I told my buddy, well, you choose which one you want, you know. You paid for it. Now, he chose the wrong one. So you had like two bags? Two bags. Two separate bags. Two separate bags, you know, little $10 bags, and he chose Same the Same dealer, just give yeah. me two. Yeah, just give me two. And he chose the wrong one. And uh, I looked over at him, and his face turned blue, and I saw every blood vessel in his cheeks like a movie get translucent yeah it was like it wasn't real I just thought he was nodding out for a minute you know real high and like, no he wasn't he stopped breathing and he you know at that point I had decisions to make what do I do run I wanted to run and uh I called 911 and it was like that Pulp Fiction movie they the ambulance came and they came rushing over and I don't know where they injected him at. Not in his heart, you know, like the movie. <clears throat> but they gave him something. They gave him something, and he woke up almost immediately. Hmm. And uh, I remember the paramedics were there saying, you need to go home. You need to go home. And that was about the only thing that happened at that point, and he survived it. About a month later, he, he died. Oh, did he? Yeah. And that was the turning point for me with that drug. And I didn't know what to do, where to turn. And that's before the days of like today when that happens. Most people suspect it's been fiddled with, like fentanyls and yeah. that kind of thing. That's the common thing today. But back then, uh, and I don't know that that wouldn't be true, but I, I think it was just a plain old-fashioned overdose back then. Yeah. Huh? Well, what they said was like, this is just street stuff. Like one out of every thousand bags was an overdose bag. Hmm. They did it on purpose. Oh, really? So people would know that that was the good stuff. Uh. So that's the sickness of it all, you hmm. know? Yeah, I've heard that thing about like somebody over ODs in the drug community wants to know where you got it. Yeah. Because that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. So, uh, 
yeah, watching that really shook me up. And I knew at that point I could, I knew the powerlessness of it all, really. You know, before I knew anything about the step work, I just knew, you know, I was going to die too. It just matter when. Yeah. You know, and then, you know. Were you doing enough of it that if you yeah. didn't do it, you'd be dope sick and all yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was probably up to 60, 80 bucks a day, give or take. And uh, it all came down on me at once because probably two two weeks later after his death, Jerry Garcia died. Mm. You know, 95. I got that phone call from from one of my hippie girlfriends and Jerry's Jerry died. Dead. Yep. And about two weeks after that, I went and got, went to the ghetto and got some more and uh, the policeman was waiting for me. And I got arrested mm. for the first time. What, they had a sting kind of thing going yeah. on? Or yeah, you everybody had pagers, you know, and... the pagers. And I paged the guy, I guess the cop had his pager. So I thought I was going to go see the dealer and yeah. I went and saw the detective or the undercover and well they do that probably you know work a deal with the dealer and say hey you know you're up shit creek but if you'll let us catch some people yeah uh, you it will go a lot easier on you but you know i was just a user so why do they want little me yeah you yeah, know it doesn't, doesn't make any sense from that standpoint no. but uh they do that yeah and uh i got charged with a felony uh felony possession to a Felony attempt to possess narcotics was my charge. So, why would it be a felony? I guess because it was a narcotic. I know, but yeah, well, it might be. I might not. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny. In in my story, I didn't know that either. So I went to a thirty day inpatient rehab. My dad came from Kentucky, dressed in his military blues, stripes everywhere. At this point, he's pushing twenty years military. You know. Sergeant Major now, you know, he was, he's starting to turn a little gray haired and he had to come town and take care of little Toby. Yep. And, uh, he, he broke down when he came and saw me. Look what my son's become, you know, where did I go wrong as yep. a, as a dad? Yep. I remember that. I got out of the hospital, got in front of the judge. The judge says, get his ass out of this state. And I woke up in Kentucky mm. for the first time. And that yeah, was I heard a, those stories too. You know, I had friends who got in enough trouble that they they just kicked them someplace else. And I don't know if that's you know, and I don't know that to be true, right? That's the story behind it. That the judge told me I could either move in with my mom in California, or uh, if I stay here, it's going to be trouble. Yeah, and I thought that was like a, a clean break. You know, oh, I'm getting out of this trouble. You know, I guess I pled guilty. To the judge, I don't even remember. I was yeah. so you know sick. We don't know what we're doing. I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't have a lawyer. You know, my dad was he was the lawyer. My dad was in his dress blues. You know, he was the lawyer. And I woke up in Henry County, Kentucky, in the middle of tobacco fields, going, "What the hell did I do? What am I doing here?" You know. And things got better. You know, because you quit the heroin. You went I to quit the heroin. And you stopped. Yeah, the physical. You never did it again. Nope. Haven't done it since. I mean, I have taken some tabs here or there, Lord yeah, tabs, pain pills, and, yeah. pain pills and stuff. But as far as shooting dope, nope. Yeah. Twenty six years and some change, give or take. And uh, but we've talked about this before. And I remember going to a CVS or a local mom and pop in Henry County and buying some needles. So I was clean from the heroin, but the physical urges were still there. And I started shooting water in my veins. 
I'd go there because everybody had cattle, right? So you could get syringes for your animals, for your horses and shit. So I'd go in there like, like I knew what I was talking about, you know. I'd get some 30cc uh, insulin syringes. or you know, I don't even remember the stories I was making yeah. up to get them. Yeah, I shot water in my veins for about a month. Hmm. And that needle fixation was was there. Just it hydrated you. Yep. <laughs> it did. I think you know, you get a little little warm fuzzy rush for ten seconds and that was it and that was gone. You placebo know? kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, placebo totally. Placebo effect. It's like when there's you know, addicts see somebody shooting up or something or you know, even talk about it and stuff like that, man, it flips them out. And uh that kind of wore off. Thank God, you know, it wore off and it faded away. And I thought I was clean from that shit. But you know, my sponsor and I were talking, and he went to a class not long ago because he gets to do continuing education hours, and they're doing a lot of studying what like that opiate use does to you. Like it fucks your brain up. I mean, like you can't. It's like if they say if you if, even if somebody's like on pain pills for thirty days. Uh, it rewires some stuff that is not coming back unwired. Uh, and I don't know, it just dawned on me as you were saying, you know, you were able to stop, but, you know, the the, the rewiring process probably had already happened. Happened, yeah. And you had some kind of consequence thing that was keeping you from doing it again for whatever reason, whether it was yep. living with dad or just knew you didn't want to go back there again. I didn't want to go down those roads. You know, I thought that th- that was going to be the end of my story. And I was, yeah, you I know. see some people dying and your idol dies. Yeah. And-, and then I get arrested and I have a felony charge on my record, which I didn't know. I thought it was all like taken care of because I moved to Kentucky. And uh, so my dad. He retired military and got a job at Ford. You know, military guys got preferential hiring right into Ford, you know. And I started working there as a temp and uh, started meeting people again, Hmm. you know. And good old Kentucky, I got some good marijuana down here. And next thing I know, I'm smoking weed every day again. And... uh, But at least I ain't doing heroin. At least I'm not doing heroin. And I stuck to those guns, too. Oh, yeah, I used to do hair. Oh, I used to be an addict, you know. You were still singing that song when you met me. Yeah, probably, yeah. You were. Yeah, not too long ago, Hiding really. yourself on the back because you... I mean, not to say it's not something to be proud of, no doubt. But it's just this cunning, baffling, you know. I'm just smoking pot. Yeah, and uh, that went on for years, just smoking weed. To the point where I started meeting people that grew it. You know, I could make a little side money doing this too, support my weed habit. My dad just retired from the military and he stayed here. He loved Kentucky, so he stuck around. And next thing I know, me and my dad are smoking pot together. Mm. My military dad, his hippie ways came back out. You know, his his addiction cycle came out. And was that Tyler Childers song about working someplace and had to, he had to stop smoking? Well, he worked at the railroad, but as soon as he gets railroad, he's going to smoke himself to China. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he had that fat retirement check coming in, you know, a couple grand a month retirement, working at Ford. He had a 10-acre lot out in the country, and he wasn't no farmer, you know. He just cut his grass on his lawnmower. And That's a good gig, man. People really pull that reti- military retirement thing and then go get a real job and... He was, seemed to do pretty well. He was double. He was starting to double dip because yeah. he started getting some years at Ford at that point too. Yeah. You know, he was looking forward to a double dip type retirement. Yeah. 
and uh yeah i would i would uh i started selling weed and uh they said oh, I'm, I'm selling my dad weed and it became like every other day thing my dad was smoking like you know quarterback every other day like, damn dad slow down a little bit you know you're getting a little older now, so it's time to slow down. Don't worry about me. Yeah. You know, don't worry about me. Just, just give me some smoke, you know. Well, Dad, I ain't buying you none today. You've had enough. <laughs> and then we worked together at Ford. I finally got hired on, on at Ford. And it was like we worked the same shift. We worked the same lines together. We were going out at lunch every day, me and my dad smoking weed in, in his truck. And it was just like... This ain't a bad gig. I'm in Kentucky. This is pretty cool, actually. You know, and yep. wasn't a bad deal. And that went on for years. Never got in trouble for it. And I uh, started buying more and more to su- not really to support my habit, to support my pocket. Because hmm. I saw money. Wow, I got all this money now. I work at Ford. Making this big check a week, and I'm and I'm slinging weed everywhere, you know, to the guys at Ford, you know, every payday they were hitting me up, you know. Yeah, I know I was a terrible drug dealer, <laughs> and uh, that went on for 15 years. I mean, I never wanted for anything, you know. I always did pretty well, you know. Not till till just recently too, eight months ago, I did yeah. pretty well, and. uh then my dad got sick, and uh, you know it, it happened so fast with me because we became like best friends at that point. You know we were like brothers at that point. The military was gone from his life, and it's like I had the dad I never had before. I could talk to him. We talked about girls and women, and I met a a young lady that. He didn't care for her too much because he knew what she was all about. She was kind of a gold digger a little bit. And we had a couple kids together, and uh, he got sick. You know, he got he got cancer. And uh, when was that? 2014, 2015. Okay. And it, and it, I feel like he was keeping it from us because, like, right after the holidays, he announced he had cancer. Mm. And I could see some effects of it. He was losing weight, you know. And he was always in good shape, too. My dad was always in great shape. And uh, his muscle tone started fading away a, l- a little bit. And I used to kid him, like, look, you're getting old, Dad. Look, your, your, your biceps aren't what they used to be. And little probably did I know then that he was the cancer was starting to take its toll on him. And I don't know. Us dudes, we won't go to the doctor about nothing, you know, so it's already got a good hold before we even know what we got. Yeah, when he announced to the family he had stage four cancer, and there was really not much they could do. What kind of cancer was it? Esophageal cancer. So, you know, to this day, I mean, even today, I still have some some doubts whether or not, you know, that I caused that or helped cause that. Selling my dad weed, you know, yeah. all those carcinogens in it. And we all have our choices, man. Yeah. You know, but it's just like. You might have played a part. But, yeah. You know, if yeah. it wasn't you, it had been somebody else. 
he was going to smoke his pot if you were if he's getting it from you or getting it from somebody else. Yeah. And uh, did he smoke cigarettes? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And he faded Good fast. That was more likely the culprit. Did he drink? No. Occasionally, he he's a social drinker. Yeah, the alcohol do the esophagus deal too, and I don't know really know about the cancer part of it, but it'll. I hear about these people having these esophageal hemorrhages and mm-hmm. stuff, where they blood vessels go bad in there. And... Well, his so he was getting real bad acid reflux. The little flap there in your mm-hmm. stomach was fading away, and the acid was eroding his esophagus and mm-hmm. making it susceptible to diseases you yeah, know yeah and that's when the cancer latched on yeah it. and now they say the medicine, some of the medicines that were used to prevent that might be causing cancer too oh man like the you tums know, and rollades no more like the and i don't remember which one and i don't want to necessarily say the wrong one and have some kind of shit here by accident <laughs> but like the protonics in the zantex and them kind of things and i don't think it's either one of those yeah 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 but one of those Pills you take once a day. Yeah. I take a once a day anti reflux thing, huh. and I thought you know, and it may still be. It might be damage that's done. You know, one of the reasons I did is because I dip for so long, man, and dip will give you heartburn, and the heartburn. pill will keep you from getting heartburn. That's right. You keep going dipping. So you go back and forth with. But it. I've actually, I, I forgot to take my medicine with me when I went to the cabin this past weekend, and I like had a little semi panic attack for a minute, and I thought, only thing I take is that heartburn pill, dummy. Yeah. I mean, I take a bunch. I take. I take magnesium i take vitamin c vitamin d uh i take a bunch of pills every morning but there's only one of them is a prescription medication yeah and i thought well hell i almost was going to come home and get them mm-hmm. but i did notice that uh the heartburn reared back up on me and just not in just in two days and not having that medicine wow yeah you know i work in the kitchen now and uh when I have heartburn, it takes, what, baking soda? Yeah. And it kind of helps that little teaspoon yep, of that. Yep, it yep. kind of settles yep. it a little bit. It's old, old. Or some milk. Home, right? Homeogenic or whatever. Yeah, homeopathic. homeopathic. Yeah. So your dad got sick and... Yeah, you know, I was married and uh, he didn't like her too well. And, you know, I thought I met the girl of my dreams, you know, beautiful blonde girl. Probably the prettiest girl I've ever dated in my life and married. And for a while there, we we were very blissful, and things started getting ugly with us. And uh, my dad passed, and I remember on his deathbed, so to speak, he told me, you know, whatever whatever you do, get get rid of that girl, get away from that girl. Mm. And at that time, I had two two little ones, and uh, but he passed away, and he was telling me that on his deathbed. And uh, sure enough, about a year later, after his passing. Me and her got divorced. And I just felt, you know, I was just losing people left and right. You know, I lost my family. I lost my dad. My uh, my godfather passed away, my dad's brother. My grandmother passed away. And uh, I was living in my car for about a month in between apartments. And didn't see. she wouldn't let me see the kids. And things just started spiraling a little more. And... Uh, Started doing Adderall to keep up with life. I got introduced to Adderall. And at first it was just to take a couple to keep you going. Street drug kind of Adderall? I mean, yeah. Like getting it from somebody like that? Yeah, somebody that had a prescription because they needed it. But they were low on rent that month, so they'd yeah. sell half their prescription. And 
I was like, wow, I like this, you know? It was different than the heroin feeling. It was a more uppity feeling, but it was the same kind of effect where I could get things accomplished. Yep. You know, I, I walked a little bit taller. It's a miracle drug. Yeah. You know, my house was clean, and I was still working at Ford, and uh, I got a little apartment, and uh, things were just all right for a, for a couple months. And the progression of the Adderall was faster than any drug I've ever used because it turned into maybe one a day to next thing I know I'm three or four or five a day to keep going. And I started losing a lot of weight. And, uh, yeah, you're not eating. Not eating, not sleeping. I'd stay up three or four days in a row. And I liked it. I, I like staying Just up. Taking another pill, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Man, I should go to bed, but instead I'll take another one. Yeah. And I was working a, a crazy third shift at Ford, so you work two days nights and two days days. So You can catch up in a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. On my off days, I go to sleep, but I never did. And Yeah. You know, and the aggression with that with with that drug, I was very aggressive, yelling at my kids all the time, mm. snapping at people, snapping short at wick. my mom, very, very short wick. And uh, I remember my boss telling me something to do that day, and I uh, snapped at him a little bit too much. Who are you to be telling me what to do? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm, you're my boss. <laughs> I'm in the union, right? UAW, you know? Yeah. And uh, I can do what I want. You know, I've been here 17 years, you know. I'll do whatever the hell I want. And, uh, yeah, I started snapping at him, and I think I snapped hard one one too many times. Yeah. And uh, he said, you smell like weed. Of course, I was smoking the whole time. Right. Adderall know? and weed. Adderall and weed. And, uh. Because the way that takes a slow motion puts me in slow motion. Now, it's been a long time since I smoked any weed, but that's why I stopped, was because it was having the opposite effect on me, man. I needed more energy, not energy. less. Yeah. You know, kids and other kinds of shit and progressing through a job that I was needing to concentrate on. And I was like, well, if I did figure out that the weed was not working in my favor <laughs> for, for doing that kind of stuff. All I wanted to do is sit on the couch and eat Cheetos. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, he brought me up to the medical department at work, and uh, they had me drug tested, and bing, bing, bing. That was it. And uh, did it, what did, How did that go whenever, I mean, because I went through a drug testing thing at work once when I didn't have any idea what that meant. You know what I mean? I was, uh, we were, we built the boilers down at LG&E's Cane Run Station, and that was the closest one of our, boiler, the next closest one is in Terre Haute. Okay. And then, like, then all over the world, man. I mean, you had to go a long way. So, like, we had this opportunity where we had people we had people working on building this thing and drawing it and designing it and things, and they had never seen one, you know. And we had this one right down here down the road, so they was going to get – I was a manager at that point, and they were going to um, – we were going to do go down there, and they were going to safety test, two-day-long safety test for the managers, for certain people. And then that way I could take people down to the job site and give them tours and stuff and not have to be escorted and stuff if you had the safety training. And I go through two days of safety training and they go, all right, last thing is, uh, and they had like two or three booths and these go piss yep. in this cup. And it's like, oh, you should save, some bunch, save me a couple of days. <laughs> but uh, I really didn't, I didn't, it didn't really hit me like that. You know, like looking back, I joke around about it hit me like that. I just went and pissed in a cup, man. 
and went on with my day like you know like I didn't have anything to worry about hmm. and I was loaded up with opiates hmm. and you know, I get a phone call from somebody and they go yeah this is so and so with the lab and, yeah huh he says uh we found uh, from that your analysis or whatever we found uh you had some uh, codeine in your system is what they had what they had and he said do you have a prescription for that and uh, nope Nope. He goes, okay, that's all I need to know. Ooh. And then a day later, Human Resources walks in and shuts my door. Because I'm in the office now, managing. Shuts my door. And I, and I remember saying to her, I'm in trouble, ain't I? And she said, no. And she said, um, so you do you get the pharmacy to call you? Da, 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 yeah. You have a prescription for that? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he said, well, how'd you get it? And I said, well, I just... Got friends that have that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just took a couple the other night. A buddy of mine, you know, his back was hurting, and a buddy of mine had some, so he gave me a couple of them. And she goes, okay. And she just left. Human resources. And then, like, the next day, my boss called me into his office and sat down with that same line, you know. You have a prescription for that? Yeah. Nope. Gave him the same line of bullshit about the... Just took a couple just the took night a couple. before. Yeah. And he said, well... Thing is, you had 10 times the recommended dosage in your system. And that's the first time I ever knew that they could actually, like, you know, I thought it was a red light, green light thing, you know. No, it wasn't get, like how much is in your yeah, system. Yeah, test the levels of it. Yeah. So that's why, uh, and I was caught off guard with all that, you know. I mean, when I thought, well, I'm not going to get in any trouble for this. But I ended up getting suspended from work for 30 days. And, uh, and it was this time of year. It was October. And I was happy. It's a deer season, man. <laughs> uh, and that's how I come home and packed up my hunting gear, and I went to the cabin, man. And uh, and I went down, and back then, you know, cell phones were, I wasn't as attached to my cell phone as I yeah. am now. Yeah. And so I didn't come up out of there and check my cell phone. You had to go further to get it to check it, too. You know, you had to drive all the way out, uh, out to what we call the grassy fields to check your phone. And uh, I was in there for like three days or something, three or four days. And I drove into town to just get ice or something. And uh, uh, I had a voicemail from work saying, it was like two days ago, saying I need to go in and get a piss test. And I was like, and then there was another voicemail, you know, but the first one was two days ago. And so I, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I just told the truth. I'm sorry. I said, I'm down at my cabin. I said, you know, we don't have no cell service or anything down here. And I said, uh, I, I had to drive out to get cell service, and I just haven't done it. And she goes, what are you, on vacation or something? Ooh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I, I didn't think I'm on home incarceration, you know. I was suspended from work for 30 days. You know what? You know, I didn't, there wasn't no guidelines that said what I could and couldn't do. Uh, but then I started figuring out about that, too. And So... That's my point. It was a whole new experience for me going yeah. down this path of uh, this. So when they come in and drug test you, because you, well, you don't, they you pee in a cup, right? Yeah. So he and came then you walk up, off. Well, he came up. He came up on a golf cart, and I was in a union, so I knew kind of the union way of things go. If you surrender at that point before they drug test you, chances are you can get some help and keep your job. Okay, so he come up on the golf cart to tell you you need to be piss tested. Yes, okay. and now they have a huge medical department. Right, so y'all had, had the little spat. Yeah. He went away. He went away. And then he comes back. Come back with the golf cart. And uh, it's five minutes before the end of the day. You know, and at Ford, when that whistle blows, that's the end of the day. So he had five minutes to do what he needed to do. 
And uh, he came up with the golf cart. And he said, get on. We're going to medical. You're going to get drug tested. So, I, you know, my addict mind was like, well, I'm going to surrender right now. Yeah, I'm you know, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a problem immediately. I have a problem. And uh, he said, well, well, I'll let them sort it out. Because at that point, it's human yeah. resources. I peed in my yeah, cup. And he can't do nothing about that anyway. Yeah. You know, it ain't his deal. Yeah. So I peed in my cup, and uh, I was considered fired at that point. I wasn't really sure what the deal was. So, But is it an instant test kind of thing? Or they... Yeah, they have a lab there, and okay. they boom. Okay. But they also send it away to make sure it's, yeah. it's yeah. at a legitimate place. That's the same thing with mine. They, they did a quick test on it, yep. and they once it's hot, they send it out to see what's yep. up for real with and, it. And you get those levels back. I think the first one was like a green light, red light. Thing. Yeah, And then when they much. send it out there, they tell you, well, you've got X many milligrams per milliliter of fluid in your body or whatever. They wouldn't let me drive home that day because they'd want to be liable. Oh, yeah? They called it a taxi cab. Like, ah. And But here's the crazy part. My car is... At the plant, my Adderall is in my car. Now they're going to taxi cab me out of here. How am I going to get to my car? Yeah, hold on a minute. This is not working. Yeah. So I said, what about my personal stuff, you know? My keys are over there. I was thinking of anything yeah, I could do to get to my... house keys are in the car. How, to get, how do I get to my car? And I got to my car. Did you? Oh, yeah. I would, too. And, and I... had to let me do that. Yeah. I got my stuff back, too, you know, and uh, got in the cab and drove away from Ford Tears coming down my eyes. I knew, I knew something was going on here. This is jig was up. Yeah, it was over. The union told me, "Well, you need to get some help, and that's going to look good. And we're going to file a grievance, and that's going to look good, and we're going to try to get your job back." Yeah, that's when I'm going to do that thing when I had those pieces in my life where I'm going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's a cornered feeling that. I really don't know what to do. Anybody give me advice like that, man, I'm eating it up. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I went home that night, and uh, there's my high school boy in the living room. And what are you doing home so early? You know, and I'm, I got tears rolling down my face at but that But you point. weren't that early. If it was five minutes before the end of the day. Yeah, but it was earlier than I... Right? Maybe he just didn't know the shift times or yeah, whatever because yeah. we did two days, two he nights. He said it nonetheless. He said it. He knew something was weird. Yeah. And uh, what's wrong kind of you know, expression. All right. It's very vague exactly what happened. But I do remember surrendering to him at that moment. And you know my son. Yeah, you just told him the truth. I told him the truth. You're, and, I, you know, your dad's a loser. Your dad lost his job uh, from drugs and alcohol yeah. today. That ain't the truth. No, not today. But Half of it. That's how I felt. Like, look... That was, that was the bottom point for me. Like, my life is fucking horrible here. And uh, I don't want any more of this. I, di- I didn't know how I was not going to want any more of it, but I knew I didn't want any more of it. You know, I really, I really knew that. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget, he said, I'll have your back, Dad. You know, and I got $1,800 rent. I've got car payments. I've, you know... I'm living a Ford money lifestyle and uh, still dealing on the side, too. So I'm like, what the hell am I going to do here? And uh, the union said, go to the brook. Get some help. Make it look good. That's what the union said? Yeah. That first Was that day, a person that's dealing with you? Yeah, it's a union committee man. Okay. Yeah. One dude. One dude. He's like your advisor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My advisor. That's funny. And uh, I went to the brook that Saturday, checked myself in f- for an assessment and they assessed me, and 
that's when I met Christopher. So that did they take the inpatient? Did they, did they admit you? No, no, they didn't admit me. They said it will do an outpatient program. And, uh, and there you got the miracle where you landed in well, Christopher yeah. Cones. And because class. of COVID, what's going on? Zoom. We were Zooming it. So next thing I know, I'm in my car under Zoom, Chris Cones class, and uh, what am I going to do? I just want my job back. Yeah. So, uh, well, I seen you when you first started coming into meetings. You was always like 15 feet away from the, you know, you really couldn't see who was in that dark area, yeah. whoever that was back there that said yeah. Toby at the bottom of the thing. Well, you know, for that first week, I was still smoking pot. Maybe first couple weeks, you know, just do I really want this? Not really. I just want my job. Did they back. have you come in and piss test? Who the Brook? Oh yeah. I mean, they did the initial assessment. They take it. Yeah, and, and then he, then they would drug test you yeah, once every other you week. Up, you know, because if you're in there, they would come in and tap you on the shoulder. Yep. and It's your turn or whatever. Yep. But in Zoom world, they got to say, okay, you got to come in. You got to come in. So I remember the first two times, the girl I was dating, I said, hey, I need to borrow some of your pee, and I scrambled borrow, like borrow some give of it back pee. to you. Yeah, and uh, she's like, well. That's not going to work because I do Adderall, you know? And I'm like, oh, fuck. So, long story short, she knew somebody and I got some pee. And for the first two times, I did the, the fake pee thing in the bathroom. The brook kept the door closed. And they didn't witness They didn't nothing. witness anything. I was like, this is easy. First time I ever had witness once was with, uh, when, I was on, when I was on home incarceration. I'd go down there and they stood there and watch you. It's really hard to pee when somebody's watching you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gun shy. I mean, like they're seeing to make sure it's coming out the yeah. end. Yeah. And the more I did that, and like I said, the first couple of weeks, it's, it's kind of vague and the exact time frame, but I remember. Oh, yeah, you're detoxing, your fucking world has just been turned completely upside down. And, uh, and, uh, but I just want my job back. That's all I cared about. You remember those days. I was, yeah. it's all I want to get my job back. Well, when I went. Then I went to the spiritual underground meeting. My job, dude. Yeah. That's that self centered, selfish. Do you have a job? Yeah. Whose is it? Mine. My job. You have a car? Yeah. <laughs> Whose is it? Mine. Got a girlfriend? Yeah. Whose girlfriend is it? Mine. Got like kids? Mine. And uh, I want my job back. I don't remember, Dan, if it was the, the first meeting, second meeting. This guy, Chris, is telling me. He's talking to me. You know, I felt like he was talking to me pretty good. Who is this badass, this guy? He's He's sharing his truth. He's... You know, he's telling me he's eating out of garbage cans, and now look at him—he's a—he's a counselor. Wow, this guy's for real, you know. And he said, "Go to spiritual underground meeting on on Tuesday nights." I don't remember if it was the first meeting or second meeting when I heard you say, "I need you." That was actually in a TSSR meeting. Man. Was it a TSSR meeting? See, that's how vague it was. I remember seeing you a couple I'd seen times. I'd you around. It wasn't—I mean, I don't know. It might have been—you know—I don't take a role or anything. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd seen you in the spiritual underground before, and, but uh, you—I don't think I saw you in TSSR much. And then it seemed like you were maybe it. You might be right. It might be like the second time or something at yeah. TSSR. And you said that so well on the camera. I need you to stay sober. I said I need to sponsor you. There you go. Yeah, something yeah. like well, that. Was talking, I was me. talking about the power of sponsorship and all that, and, you know, and what it does for me. And I don't know. It just come out where I was like, you know, I need to sponsor you. Uh, you know, I, I need that as a part. I know that is. That's a need for Dan today. Dan going to go off a of rails if he ain't sponsoring people. 
And it, then, yeah, you called me up. I don't remember. Was, was it right after the meeting? Or? I, I don't know if it was. I think it was. Well, the next day. I next don't day. But I remember going in that, in that group. Yeah, you, were, you told me that you... Uh, you, you. I know you're talking to me. I was like, well, I wasn't really, but. <laughs> well, now that I look back at it and know how we all converse, you know, a little bit, I'm thinking, I wonder if Chris said, hey, there's this guy Toby in his class, man. He, I think you guys be a good fit, you yep. know. He's done that before, but he didn't do it. With you. you might get through with him, you know, because I felt like you were talking right to me. Well, and, you know, I take that side, and I, today with uh, <laughs> Bill Wilson wrote something in uh, this article called emotional sobriety and then it is one of my another one of my favorite bill wilson lines he says uh now that i've had a little bit of spiritual development now that i've had a little bit of spiritual development when you said that you thought i was talking to you then i guess i was at some level you know that's higher power stuff you were you know and uh even though i wasn't necessarily looking at toby in the screen telling toby that when i said it uh but i did say it i did mean it (laughs) And you specifically heard it. Yep. And I went back to the group that next day and told Chris. Little did I know, I didn't know you. Were, he yeah, sponsored he you him. and the way all that all works. And uh, he started chuckling. Really, Dan Reeves, yeah? Well, why don't you give him a call or something to that effect. And uh, the rest was history. And But you yeah, showed but, you me. know, I could feel... And I know, and I just told a guy this, you know, I love having new sponsees, and it's so fun. And, uh, you know, sometimes I feel a little manipulative when I'm doing it, you know, because I am. I'm trying to talk you into picking up this gift somehow or another. You know, I don't know what angle I'm going to use, but uh, I'm going to try, you know, and only what I'm trying to do is save your life, you know. Uh, If I had to do a little trickery or if I had to do a little end around in order to help get into your drug-addled brain, I'll do that. And uh, and I have guys who come over, and I can feel that wall in, in between us. That you really didn't want this, you know. You're not here, you know. I've had people come in and just eating it up, and I could feel both energies off of you. I could feel this energy that wanted to get the fuck out of here as fast as you could. Uh, and then also, there's the little kid like inside or whatever going, "Help me, help me, help me." You know, the attic was trying to drag you back out of here, and the little kid was fighting to be here. And uh, and you'd argue with me about the alcoholism and uh, the drug addiction stuff about, and, you know, I mean, even at some point, the pot wasn't your problem. You know, I just smoked some pot, man. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you know, and... Uh, I just need my job back. Just need my job back. And it started changing before me. You know, Ford never let me have my job back. Of course, you... You know my story where I went back to work. Yeah, yeah they did. They teased you. Yeah, they teased me. I went back to work for two so days. So they didn't come back to work, and uh, he thought he was going to go, you tell it. You thought you was going to go in and be fired. Yeah, I thought I was going to be fired, and uh, they they put me back on the my job area. I wasn't working the line, but they put me back in my job area. They drug tested me, and <laughs> I passed the drug test. I was, you know, I was doing pretty good. I was clean, you know, a couple months clean. And, uh, and thought you had your damn job back uh, and everything. Yeah, there. life he was, was happy. And, yeah. and, and, you know, from my perspective, I know these miracles, man, happen. This yep. shit happens. Yep. It does. How did I get my job back? Because I was told I was going to be fired when I came back to work, you know? I was told I was going to go to prison. Yeah. And uh, so I'm back on my job, happy as can be, you know, and uh, 
some of my coworkers are like, what is, what is up with Toby now? Look at him, you know? Like, I was genuinely happy. You know, things were changing. You know, this, I think we were just past the third step prayer, fourth step stuff, you know? And, and it didn't last long. Two days, they made a mistake, and they came yeah. and got me. And uh, Tap Joe on the shoulder and said, whoops, yeah. we made a mistake. You're not supposed to be here. Hit the hit, yeah. kick rocks, buddy. And I remember walking... It was a long walk to Human Resources because they didn't give me a ride in the cart that time. Uh, they told me the walk. Yeah, where's the golf cart at? Yeah. So I had about a mile walk, and I called you. And I remember doing... I was really tripped. Yeah. And I remember, you know, the whole the whole God is your employer now really got to me. Like, this was... I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get fired now. What am I going to do with my what life? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do I, I want this do? stuff or do I, or do I don't want this stuff? And uh, I remember talking to you and uh, the fear, you know, and and I wasn't so afraid anymore walking in that room. I knew I was getting fired, fired, and I was just okay with it. And I was bummed out. I remember being bummed out for about yeah. a half a day, and that it was, was really it. a dirty trick. It was. It was. It was. I mean, I don't think he by intentionally did it, but it was a dirty trick. Yeah, yeah. But looking back, but what on I it, know, you know, and it's the same thing. And 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 I don't have anything else to say back when those kind of things happen. You know, that some other door is going to open, man. If you just keep your positive attitude and keep looking to keep doing what you're doing, shit works out. For some reason, when you're working this, shit works out. And it was like the crossroad time, you know. Here I met Dan, and I'm starting to meet the fellas, and wow, this is a pretty good life. I'm accepted. And, you know, especially when you gave me a hug for the first time and told me you loved me. Mm. That that was, what, what man gives me a hug and says they love me? My dad didn't do that. He was a military man. He didn't, rarely did I hear that word, I love you. No. And, I kind of like the awkwardness of that moment. Yeah, it is awkward. Dude, you're like, what? You, you can love me. <laughs> do I give you a pat on the back? How do I do this? A half hug, a full hug. COVID was going on. You didn't care. You, you gave me a hug. I squeezed you. Yeah. And uh, those are the moments, you know, that I remember going, I, th- I, th- I think I want this stuff. I think I want this, what these guys have. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... And I know your third step prayer hits you real hard, too. There's a moment where that stuff, and it's just this this work does that, you know. It begins to get you to believe in that, that uh, yes, I, you know, I can have this, too. I can actually get what these dudes are displaying for me. Yeah, right here in this room, you know, this right here in that spot. Yeah, yep. that was... On that our was, knees at the podcast table. Yeah, that was the moment of... I remember driving home too out of here and tears, you know, were rolling down my eyes and they were happy tears, you know, like You can feel your life changing. Yes. You really I can. Could feel it changing. I didn't know how it was gonna change or what, what my next steps were, so to speak, but I told that I told my new guy that story last night in the car about when Christopher asked told me he wanted to sponsor me. And it's a whirlwind and everything, and I and, and I have so much more clarity now in the rearview mirror. But I plainly remember walking out of those doors in the corner of that church and looking to the sky, knowing something had just shifted. Something has just changed. I just had a you know the fault line slipped. Yeah, Dan. Didn't was, know what it was though. 
You know, the stuff, it, you know, we hear the cliches of it, it just keeps getting better, and it's true. But th- that ranks up there where, you know, you have kids, that's the best day of your lives, you know. You get married, your best day of your lives, but that was the best day of the, the life that I can remember. You know, I don't remember all that other stuff in the madness, you know. And I remember that day being pretty close to the best day I can ever remember, mm. you know, just ever really remembering. Like, I remember that smell. And, no, I can't remember every word you said in the prayers, and, and I don't remember what I said, because I said a prayer, too. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I know that third step I recite out of that book. Oh, I yeah. know it, but yeah, yeah. what I do when I pray, I just pray. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was the moment for me, really. And It says, sometimes uh, effect is felt at once, even a very great one or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it says, but, yeah, that third step and it says it in the book sometimes it's a rocking experience and most of the time it is different levels sometimes it takes a guy a day to sink in sometimes a dude breaks down crying right there on the spot i remember coming here that day and you said we need to i was had some shit going on and i you're like let's meditate and you put some meditation music on yeah and, we just sit here and chilled for a few minutes. Yeah, and it got me in a good... Changed the channel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was... That was the moment, you know, and I, and I just can't imagine my life right now compared to what it was. And and a job came in and filled the blank. Yep. Uh, yeah, my buddy called me up. I remember with, you talking to me about that before about this restaurant job yeah I remember early on I was like man you want if you can back this on down the road a little bit that'd be a good idea keep on focusing on your recovery and not getting wound tight into a job yet and you did wait a little while yeah I did before it come around and you know the money came there also to help pay the bills and three kids I'm taking care of and it's it's been fine since you know it's and you know the, the people I work with now they're it's, they're all an addiction, 90% of them. It's, yeah. And I sit back, it's like Papa Bear now. And you know that. Yeah, you're trying to herd cats. Yeah, <laughs> down the alleyways. And one guy's running down the alleyway at work. He, he freaked out one night, and I just shook my head. And, you know, it's. I don't. You know, I just try to show him how this life could be, you know? And a lot of them are just like, wow, look at him. He's. You know, and I, if I'm if I'm catching on to him, I am. If I don't know, you know, they ask me a lot of questions about where I go all the time, and my boss is pretty lenient on me as far as hitting meetings. And you know, one of the speakers I've heard say, he said, uh, and I think it's an old AA saying, but uh, you might be the only version of the big book this guy ever meets. So be the best version of it that you can be. I love that. It's not about carrying a message. It's about what we do, like I said on Tuesday night, or what we do in our respective homes, lives, and occupations. Uh, there's a energy that comes off of us that people go, something's up with that. What's up with that, dude? Yeah. You get it all the time. Yeah. I get it at work all the time. and uh... My clients and stuff, I can tell that they're just like, they're... Like and they like you know, I guess you know I can't get out of there because they want to. And I'm not talking recovery. I'm just talking to them. I'm just being me. And 
They want you to hang around and keep that energy. It reminds me uh, of a couple times over my life that I've been around some people who uh, I've really felt their energy. But I'm into madness, and I don't understand at all what it is. But I will get I get these neck tingles uh, when certain things happen. Um, the few times I've been in this podcast and somebody sat across the table and played an instrument and sang, it's like, you know, it's like a cat. I feel like a cat getting petted, you know. I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> I remember a preacher that I worked with at Servian when I was like 17, 18 years old. And anytime I was around him, that's the way I would feel. All I had to do is like get close to him, and I could feel it. And like he wouldn't be at work one day or whatever, and I could go sit in his chair and feel it. And I would do that on purpose, you know, go feel his energy. And I had no idea what it was. I was, you know, you get to wondering about your sexuality and everything else, you know. And um, Darren did that to me. You do that to me. Really? Yeah. When you went on your, your uh, mountain trip for three weeks, whatever it was. Three, well, we went to Colorado? Three meetings. Oh, yeah. And my, my Two weeks. Dan wasn't there, you know? And it was like that feeling, that comforting feeling, that, that peaceful feeling was gone for a minute, you know? I was okay. I draw a lot of comfort knowing that my sponsor is my sponsor. There is, there's, it gives me a anchor in my life that I know that I'm supported. You know, and it just feels good to be supported. Mm. I watch you when he speaks in the meetings. I watch you watch him in the meetings, and just you're, and you're, you know, you're you're right there. You're so connected, and I feel like that when you're talking. It mm. just it really. Yesterday, when you were doing a lead at the meeting, and you looked at me a couple times, and I was like, oh, I fucking love Dan. You know, mm-hmm. I love Dan. And I remember early on, you said to me people tend to fall in love with their sponsors. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Fall in love, you know, but I get it today, you know. I couldn't imagine not having you in my life on a daily basis, man. I mean, I really do. You've, yeah. Well, the gift that you give me by allowing me to do this role, you know, is beyond any, like in the beginning, I said in the beginning of this thing, there's no way to explain it. You've had a little taste of that sponsorship juice. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's been. It'll come. Keep on praying. Yeah, uh, it's been a little rocky road with with a guy that came up to me and asked me to sponsor him. And you know, he's at he's in a rehab facility now. But I talked to him last week for the first time in about a month, and yeah. you can just hear the changes in their voice and their. You think about the impact you've already had on him that you know he got piped out of town to some rehab joint, you know, and basically forcibly at some level. And uh, when he gets a chance to make a phone call, who, that he calls you, man, what an honor that is. Yeah. And he said he'll be getting out in January, and I told him we'll be waiting for him. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we'll see him around again. Bonties uh, are, are the juice, man. It is. I, I truly I, I believe fully that I don't pick them. Like, I don't pick my sponsees. Uh, God arranges those meetings, and uh, and golly, if I not hit the jackpot, over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Uh, that's uh, my guy. Last night, I'm trying not to say his name. He said, "So do you sponsor everybody in there?" I'm like, "No, I don't." Seems like it. Like, yeah, no, I don't. I sponsor a lot, but not everybody. And the guys that seem to stick, 
the ones you sponsor. Yeah. So and their lives are getting better and they're doing the deal, man. And I know it's these tools and there is some dynamic of a gift to give this thing away. Uh, I know I totally understand that. And of course, I had like the best teacher in the world too. So uh, stack up that gift of gab on top of a good teacher and. Uh, I wonder if I should go into sales. <laughs> no. So life is good today. Yeah, life is, you know, life is better than I could have ever imagined right now, you know, for today. And it's like, what's 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 going to be tomorrow? I mean, I got some good things coming up. Uh, today, I applied to take my NCLEX test. I went to nursing school and, and this story about 10 years ago, Ford offered this uh, go back to school thing for free. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, I think it was, the economy went bad. And it was in 11, 2011, 12, and the economy went bad for a while. Mm-hmm. We got laid off for you know a few months. Eight and, is the one I remember, right? Yeah, it was a little, fr- it was after Maybe that one. And uh, I took, you know, took their money and went went back to school and I'm, I'm going to be a nurse, you know? And I chuckle about it because I went to nursing school for all the wrong reasons then. Chase women, like my daddy, you know? Yeah. I was the only boy in class and I didn't have to work so I could study all the time. And, yeah. oh, I, oh, I got an A. Oh, I got another A. Next thing I know, the girls wanted to study with me, you know? And that's what I went there for, really. I got this Ford stuff on the back burner, you know, and today I have no Ford stuff on the back burner, but I have a degree hanging on my wall. Yeah, you look at how that sometimes, not sometimes, but at times one will look back at these chain of events in life and wonder about how that got orchestrated the way it did. And uh, so this morning, you know, my, my morning prayer, I wasn't too happy with going in a restaurant today. This just happened hours ago, actually. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, I had some guidance, and I'm filling out the paperwork and hitting the buttons on the phone to scheduling the test, scheduling my test. And I've talked about it for months. And yep, you've been talking about it since I've known you. <laughs> yeah, you rolled your eyes on that one too. But and it was something you know I, I had to do this stuff first. I really felt that way that I had to get this stuff. I agree, and I advised that accomplish it. <laughs> Today, one of our buddies said, "Well, you didn't talk to your sponsor about this." And I kind of chuckled. I'm like, yeah, he he knows this very well, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. I didn't have to ask him on this one this yeah, morning. Yeah, it raises my hackles a little bit sometimes. Oh, like, are people sponsored my sponsees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muddling my sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, I've, I got all that paperwork done, and now it's do or die time. I've got five weeks to take this test and, you know. We take our, we do, we do our part and take the actions and. Let God handle the rest. We're not responsible for the outcomes. We're responsible for the actions. So, you know, it's about the balance, too, because you you know my program. You're my program. So you know about my program. I, I go to meetings constantly. You know, I, I stay connected. I do a lot of the readings. You know, I'm, I'm starting to really dive into TSSR now in the book, in the readings of it. You know, I'm falling asleep in the book now at night, mm-hmm. you know. Once I bumped you off of that stuck spot you were in there in the beginning, uh, since then, uh, you've done everything. Everything I tell a guy he needs to do to get better, 
you've been doing and what's happening? I'm getting better. That's right. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's, uh, I'll go back. I keep on. It's cool because when you first start working with a guy, and, and I don't know, these little things and it pops up and it's all fresh, is like, you know, nudging my guy to speak last night. You know, and I'm like, that's way bigger than he thinks it is. You know, he thinks I'm punishing him almost, you know, that it's like a punitive thing that I'm going to make him speak at the meeting, you know. I love it. And he doesn't realize the energy of him taking that action to do that uh, opens himself up to the group to be able to open themselves up to him, too. Um, it's that same, it's the opposite of what you were doing when you first came around. You were way back in the back row, so to speak, on Zoom, back in the dark, you know. Uh, that energy there doesn't attract anybody to come help you because you don't look like somebody wants some help. Yep. When you come up there and sit in that chair, because you know, like, now we have a Zoom meet, hybrid meeting and we got a speaker chair. <laughs> when you go up and sit in that speaker chair, then that allows everybody to go, oh, this dude wants some help. We'll, 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 we'll help him. Yeah. Uh, I was never too bashful on my shares. No, you shared from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and being with Chris... He pulled that out of me right away, you know, because he calls on you. Yeah, yeah. He will make you participate in your recovery, and and it's exciting to see somebody do that, and and you kind of want to be like them a little bit, you know. And then last night you did your lead, and I was like, wow, he's amazing, you know. Let's see, he just speak from the heart. You asked me, oh, what what step am I doing this lead on, and I knew you knew, but you just it just. It's in your soul, and it's it is a part of you so much that I want that too. I want that, you know, not just getting, not just staying recovered, but just staying in it constantly. I love it. I love it. It's it's first word of the ten step. Yeah, I love continue. it. Continue, continue, continue. You know, and then and this next month, I have to focus on the nursing test. Get to, and I'm a little. Yeah, <laughs> I get to good one. And, I, and I'm a little worried about that because it's going to take away from a little bit of, of, of what I'm doing now, you know. And I'm and I'm like, well, I want to just stay in this stuff and learn, learn, learn. But, I, okay, the balance and act now of life mm-hmm. is like, okay. The most valuable thing we have is our time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've gotten in recovery is a gift that, like, I feel like I do way more than I have time to do. Mm. You know, it's like I got an extra day a week or something. Mm. Uh uh, it does, you just end up, you know, and the opposite of that is, is uh, in the big book, uh, he talks about uh, squandering away the hours. How, how, how do we squander away the hours? Uh, we don't squander hours anymore, man. We're productive. Yeah, you got to figure out how to, like, partition it. Yep. Yep. And it gets hectic at times, yeah. you know, and it's life. Yeah, that was hectic as hell all day long. <laughs> you know, today I can figure it out with with some relief where not too long ago I'd have to try to medicate to get some relief and to yeah. figure it out yeah. you know I knew I knew I see it happen in my life like today you know I mean I was feeling overwhelmed when I got there and didn't have no help and I gotta take the first two things I gotta do is get two sheets of plywood on top of this roof by myself and a sheet of plywood is not easy to get up on top of a roof by yourself and uh and you know, and so I just like break it down. You know, it's like one day at a time thing. It's just, it's a, but it's one task at a time. All right, how do I get that up there? All right, now I got it up there. How do I get it squared up and the building racked by myself so that I can get it up there and get the building square? And 
one one thing at a time and then it keeps me from getting overwhelmed with anything because when i stood there at the beginning this morning and looking at it and everything i was hoping to have done today and my help didn't show up uh it's overwhelming you said to like you know focus on that one thing well, okay what do i do first all right i do this first yep. what do i do okay that's done what's next and uh life is like that yep what's the next right thing to do yep and i felt like you know call, calling it well not calling getting on the internet and getting that nclex th- testing accomplished was the next right thing to do and I really feel like it's just going to blossom other things in my life that I don't even know about yet. Well, the next right thing to do was just get the thing scheduled. Right? Yeah. The yeah. test is still a month away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, and really, I can scheduled. see by first of the year, maybe helping people with with this disease, you know? I need uh, I need uh, that pressure deadline out in front of me because if I just, because otherwise I can just kick the can down the road indefinitely. So I, and I and I do it to my detriment to some level in my work, and I was thinking about that today too because I've got more work going on than I can possibly handle, and I'm just having, like people are texting me, and I'm just saying, hey, look, I don't know. <laughs> I am I, 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 you're on my list, and I can't really tell you when I'm gonna get to you. I hate doing that. Yeah. You know? I hate saying I don't know. Yeah. But what I do is I'll give them a date. And then I feel real pressured to make sure it happens. And at the moment, I just can't do that. I have a pile of work in front of me that's going to get done. And I feel like saying, you know, feel free to find somebody else. Yeah. You don't have to wait on me. It's okay. But, yeah, you just click it off, man. Uh, I find I have to schedule stuff in my life. All my whole life is scheduled. The reason I missed Matt last night why I was, uh, was supposed to meet, ooh, I said his name, uh, was supposed to meet him. Uh, we had an ongoing thing where we was going to meet at 6 o'clock before the meeting and do the work. And uh, and I put it in there one Tuesday, and I didn't put it in there ongoing. You know, re- calendar. Re- reoccurring. Yeah. And it wasn't on my calendar. So I just missed it, man. If I, so, like, even that stuff, you know, I put stuff in there like, you know, sometimes I put in there, do laundry, you know, <laughs> study for the test, mm. you know, and say, okay, here's two hours on Wednesday night. And you know what some of that comes from is like talking about doing a four step. It's that orderly. That's one of the ways that we teach orderliness and some direction in this program is by saying schedule your four step work. Because if you just do it when you get to it, you won't get to it. You won't get to it. No. But you got to say, okay, Monday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. At 9 p.m., I'm going to do step work yeah. and starts building, you yeah. know, because now I've done something. I made some progress, and I've actually completed my little task, and the momentum is moving. And, yeah. you know, next thing you know, you you know, you this is when they say practicing these principles, this is that's it. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. It's, it's what you have yeah. to do, you know, you get through the steps. And now i got some guidelines, some, some guiding posts of how to do this thing called life. And one of them is schedule the shit I need to do. Yeah. Early on, I remember you telling me to get a calendar. Get you know, get calendars. Get, get a calendar, the, yeah, yeah. Print them out. You can go on the internet. And, I mean, I can yep. go on print internet and print out them free calendars for keeping track of meetings. Yep. And uh, yeah, sometimes people do need that. You yep. know, print it out or buy, go to the store and buy a calendar and write on it what you're going to do. Yep. It'll uh, put some accountability to yourself to do the things you know you need to do. Yeah. And I, you know, and and the home group members today I, I called a few of them up on, on the Marco app and said, hey, I need some accountability, guys. Mm-hmm. 
get on me, you know, because I'm I'm still an addict and I'm still gonna slouch and procrastinate, and I know that about myself, you know, and but I also know that I have a deadline, at, that so to speak, yeah, I'm gonna reach towards that. Better schedule so, it. Yeah. Running out of gas? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel the energy changes when and like this is when the podcast is over with. There used to be everybody would go and I'd hear that sigh. I say it in a lot I've said it in a lot of podcasts. And to hear that sigh it means like, okay. We used to say in uh, when you share in uh, yoga teacher training, we'd share kinda like we do in twelve step meetings and and uh, when you were done, you say you you say I feel complete. Yeah, I feel I feel complete right now, definitely. Cool, man. Well, I'm proud of you. Uh, thanks for coming in here and doing this. Uh, you know, I kind of have a little tradition or whatever, waiting until a guy's got a year, but kind of goes into that same thing as a fella, a friend of ours said something about not making any decisions and or in your first year and. Another guy said, well, what was the third step? That was a hell of a decision. What do you mean by that? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I think time-related boundaries are weird. You know, I don't necessarily believe in time-related boundaries. I think, like, like don't, don't make any major changes until you've worked the steps. You know, I mean, you do that in four months, cool. Uh so, same thing in here. You've worked the steps. I will rarely have somebody, well, I rarely invite somebody in here who hasn't done the work. Once in a while that slips in and it's happened and it's real apparent too and I always give it a thought to that, okay, that was on purpose because that shows what somebody's recovery is like that hasn't done the work. And more power to them, you know, because we're all on our journeys and stuff and it's not like knocking them around or whatever. But it's real apparent to me and a lot of my listeners uh, they can tell when you have, have or haven't done this work. And uh, so I'm glad you came in. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank I mean, you. Why would you not, right? That's like, right. once you get the taste of this, yeah, this why not? I, I can't imagine my life any other way right I'm, now. I'm, I'm going to go around the corner and start doing what I used to do. I'm no just way. watching my life go back into wreck. No way. No uh, way. Uh, I found the people, you know. I'll tell you one more piece of advice real quick too, man. You don't get this twice. You don't get it again. This kind of what you got right now, mm. if you relapse and come back, mm-hmm. it won't be here anymore. You want, you'll want it like you do for the high you used to get. Mm-hmm. You know, same kind of thing. Hey, we want to get that buzz we got the first time. Mm. And this stuff is the same way. Yeah. I watch that happen over and over again too, man. Guys boogie and they throw away this feeling that you have today yeah and i don't know that they really think that but i think there's something in the back of their mind someplace that's telling them don't worry about it. i can always come back and you can always come back but you're not going to get what you have in your life today more likely yep i know what you mean uh, i can imagine that feeling bopping out and then coming back and going man where's that juice i had last time yeah. yep it's gone you know travis said it well to me one time he said what's wrong with Staying on the pink cloud forever, you yeah. know, and that's 
that's how I've been feeling since I met you, so to speak. You know, hang on to it. Yeah, I don't want it to go uh, away. Buckle up, Buttercup, because it <laughs> it does keep on getting better. It really does. And it, and you know, since since I completed the steps the first time, the first go around, you know, it just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, you know, all those different layers of my life that I'm still going to unpeel and 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 discover about like, myself. Yeah, but subsequent trips won't be like the first time. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of thought too, man. I had this vision that, like, okay, I won't go through the steps again because that was so good. But subsequent trips through are not as juicy, not as, as, juicy as the first one is. The momentum of a guy in his first year and the, the the transformation that happens in that first year is so giant, you know. And more that first trip through the steps, whatever we celebrate, guys first. The change from the dude who walks in the door to 365 days later when we're celebrating his one year is so vast, uh, it's incomprehensible, you know. But the change from one to two ain't, you know. It's like a crawl yeah, yeah, from there yeah, on out. Yeah, yeah. It's still still good stuff happens and stuff, but it's just not it's just not on the it's it's not on the level of what that first blast is. So hold on to this. It's what's so fun to watch, yeah. man. Hold on to this for dear life, this yep. feeling. Yeah. And it's uh that's why you know, it's one of the reasons I it's the juice that I get watching to be a play and a part, you know. I said, you know, the tool in the master's hands, uh, handing off this, these tools that were handed to me and then getting to be a part of that. And have your sponsees fall in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, now everybody knows I'm in love with Mr. Dan. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't think you're the only one. It seems like everybody had to go out and buy a goddamn slingshot over the last few days. <laughs> I got a slingshot for a that. couple of weeks, yeah. I didn't know you started and that. Vlad come over and I shot, my, and I did a little Marco Polo with it a couple of times. I okay. said something, I had it on the Marco Polo, and then Vlad was like, oh, he's drooling all over it. Next thing you know, he's got one. Yeah. He's putting it on Marco Polo, and I'll be damned if we don't got a goddamn slingshot team going on. Yeah, now. we got a competition we'll going to join up. the uh, form an <laughs> Olympic team. That's funny. Yeah, it always has to go straight to competition, too. And I'm just not a competitive type of dude. I am not. I play games, go with Holly and play games, and she is super ultra-competitive, man, and, like, turned me off. <laughs> uh, and I just am not, you know, who, you know now now we got to figure out who the best slingshot shooter is, and the fucking thing hasn't even come to your mailbox yet. <laughs> You're right. You're right. We're all and we're all trying to get better slingshots. Yeah, you know, mine has the. the and I see those on. little pieces of junk y'all bought. Nobody even bought a real slingshot. <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> but you know what? When I bought that slingshot today, I did think about my kids learning how to slingshot. This is a cool thing, yeah. Because I never, I never learned, you know. Wow. Wow. Homemade, dude. Wow. I got a slingshot, a piece of wood that uh, I've been making homemade slingshots since I was a little kid. Uh, and you see a fork in a tree and it's just exactly perfect. That is exactly perfect, Dan. Wow. Can you pass it up? You know, you got to tie your own bands on that one. Yeah. My slingshot that bands clamp on. And you can shoot them between the forks. I can send you some YouTube videos of some dudes doing... That's what happened to me. As my YouTube knew I would like this. Because like traditional archery, it's almost like shooting a traditional bow. It's, it's the same form and everything. 
I mean, it's exactly like shooting a bow. And uh, and they fed me a sling. YouTube fed me a slingshot thing, man, and uh, and I went in a rabbit hole on it. And they said, you know, one coming the mail, and I didn't say nothing to nobody about it. It's pretty it, cool. Uh, and I've been taking mine out hunting. I snapped a squirrel out in the backyard the other day, man. Oh, damn. Thumped him. Man. He, uh, he run away? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep, I didn't kill him. Oh, boy. I don't know. I, I don't know that. I, I didn't kill him on the spot. It slapped him hard enough, and I don't know what happened. But we have a we have to do squirrel uh, population control here on Hedden Park on a regular basis. Uh, they just get, you know, it's nothing to look out in the backyard, and there be a dozen or more oh. of them in the backyard. Hear them acorns in the roof. Oh, I hear them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got a few. My very first, me. my very first podcast uh, with Chase in here. The acorns were raining now. The trees, man. The whole podcast sounds like rifle shots. Wow. And I tried to edit them out. I went in because I could go in this program and clip them out. Background noise. And you couldn't even. Uh, no, I was actually trying to manually find the spikes. And before I knew, now I wonder if I couldn't do the noise reduction thing like I do when I turn an air conditioner off on it or something like that with those hits. But I think they're all probably a little bit different tone, so I don't know that it would clue in on them that well. I don't know. I ought to try it sometime. I ought to go back and get that old one out and see if I could do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that first one that Chase was in here, man, there's a bang, bang, tang, 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 tang. <laughs> Acorns falling. And the October always reminds me of that because that's a. Uh, uh, recorded the first one in here in 2018, October 2018, on a school cafeteria table I had in here. Now look at you. It's yeah. amazing in here. Now i got my own podcast table. Cool, man. Well, let's tie a bow around this thing. Um, again, proud as hell of you. Then the deal, man, really are just shining example of what this work does, man. And people see that. And the new guys come in our meeting and they see, uh, what is up with that dude? Mm. Well, he's got the juice. That's what's up with that dude. Uh, A big dose of the juice. So keep on drinking the juice, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Never let it go. For help shaping me. Because it's a perfect example of uh, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault, man. Take the action. Do this work. Uh, blast off. And thank everyone out there for allowing Toby and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. Peace out.